Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hello, my name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to another episode of the No Encore Music Podcast. It's time now for another standalone edition and this one, I think, is long overdue. In the sense that Craig and I have wanted to shine a proper light on the music and the personality of Royal Yellow for quite some time. For the uninitiated, Royal Yellow is the solo, though quite collaboration-friendly, as he himself attests on this episode, uh, project of one Mark O'Brien, who once plied his trade as a member of Enemies, one of Ireland's most celebrated experimental outfits. May they rest in peace. What a career they did have. You may remember Mark from co-hosting this very show alongside Craig just last year. But this is the first time that we're all together, and this time the focus is very much on Royal Yellow. It is a project that is itself focused on crafting beautiful, patient, immersive, expansive, and rewarding electronica. And this episode, I think, is quite good timing as well, because Mark has finally released the debut Royal Yellow EP. That's called Still Until. 
It's three tracks long, it's 23 minutes long, and it's incredible. You can order it right now on Delicious Vinyl if you're into that kind of thing, as I increasingly am, and you can get that via the newly formed Tonic Recordings. If you hit up Royal Yellow on Twitter or Instagram, you'll find those links. Tonic Recordings are out there as well on the socials, I believe. On this episode, Mark talks about growing up amidst a DIY punk scene in North Wicklow, the ending of Enemies after 10 years in which they toured around the world, the band's overall legacy, Mark's move to making music, once again under his own own kind of guys, his own kind of system, uh, and essentially where he arrived at emotionally with all of this happening kind of at once. I mean, he likens the breakup of the band to the breakup of a relationship, and there's so much to talk about with that as well. Uh, he talks also about the increasing importance of visual storytelling and how he feels Ireland is raising the bar in that regard, and an awful lot more on this one. Uh, we even start with perhaps the most contentious pop culture question of all. Now, before we get going, if this is your first time tuning into No Encore, I would invite you to stick with us. Every Friday, we release a new episode in which we go through the week's music news, preferably with a sideways playful glance where possible. We also review a brand new album. Last week, it was Black Midi. This week, we're going to be looking at Wolf Alice's new one. And every week, our main event spotlight is a top five. Every episode is themed around a top five thing. So myself and Craig, we do like a dueling thing. We kind of go at each other. It's fun. It's great. We love it. Uh, to date, we've done the likes of best video game music, strangest musical subgenres, most overrated albums, bizarre football songs, best and worst new metal songs, and the most stirring music that has ushered in the end credits of a film. And honestly, loads more. We've been doing it for about a year and a half, and the well, thankfully, has not run dry. Uh, if it's more standalone interview episodes you're after, we have those too. In recent months, we've had in-depth conversations with the likes of For Those I Love, Denise Chyla, Pillow Queens, Alvaretti, Michal Quinn, Merley and Kabina for their new Regera project, Nilo, Paddy Hanna, A. Smith, amongst many, many more. We've even got a monthly side project that dives into music-related film reviews. That's called No Popcorn. I think High Fidelity was our most recent episode there. The door is coming up soon. It's all there. Just hit that subscribe button, tell your friends, search for No Encore on Spotify or whatever it is you use, etc. And finally, this episode of No Encore was produced by our wonderful Sonic Architect, who goes by the name of Adam Shanahan. Episodes such as this one are made possible by our wonderful patrons. Please consider hitting up patreon.com slash noencore if you would like to support the show. We are a fiercely independent bunch. We do it for the love. And every little bit really, really does go a tremendously long way. So thank you very much to those who do support the show. And now, without further rambling, it's time to present Mark O'Brien, also known as Royal Yellow, in conversation on No Encore. do you think the simpsons went off the boil that's what i want to know today whoa let's settle this straight in with the big questions that's what i do 
Um, I'm currently in the process of trying to find, much like the pinpoint the second where Ralph Wiggum's heart breaks in half in a classic Simpsons episode, I'm, I'm very much in the process of trying to figure out when when it happened. Some people say it's the... What is it? Some people say it's the Homer's Enemy episode. It's that or the Armin Tamzarian one tends to get like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Principal yeah, yeah. and the Pauper, I believe. Because everything that like structurally... Yeah, like, that's the jumping the shark moment. Yeah, everything <clears> that's <throat> sort of like the Simpsons universe is structurally... The rules on which the universe is based around completely fall asunder and, and it's like, but what if it wasn't that way? And... Um, yeah, I don't know. It's around. It's around somewhere in season eight, isn't it? Eight, that tends nine, to be maybe. the kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. tough yeah, qu- opening question day. If you really put yeah. him on the spot, Jesus. Craig, <laughs> it's what I do. But you can, by all means, you can take the reins. I'm, I'm, I'm losing control of this interview in instantly, which is a new record for me. <clears throat> I, I did see a great one the other day, that which got a, a big laugh out of me. Um, my my girlfriend never watched The Simpsons growing up, so I'm like, after we've been together for over ten years, and I'm I've now finally broken her down <laughs> and convinced her to watch The Simpsons. It's going really well. She's very much enjoying it. Um, the relationship is going really well. <laughs> the relationship is okay. The, the Simpsons watching it's is, holding is it going together, well. let's be honest, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, but there was one the other day where uh, Homer just sees an ad for a free wig in a newspaper and then just imagines himself wearing a Mark Simpson wig <laughs> and does the Mark Simpson impression where it's like, I love you, homie. And then he goes, <laughs> I don't need her at all anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. What was the rationale behind her never seeing The Simpsons? Was it a kind of family didn't have a TV kind of household? I think or? Her, she was the oldest of, of three siblings and her younger brother, Chris, um, I think there's like eight years between them. He was like obsessed with it. So she always just kind of rolled her eyes and was like, oh, that's such kid stuff. Wow. Chris is still obsessed with it like to this day. Like he... He comes home from work and watches like smashes two episodes like the minute he gets in from work like with like a bowl of cereal, <laughs> you know. And he's like twenty six years old. Now, <laughs> this guy so. sounds like an absolute legend. He is. He is. Shout out to Chris. Uh, he'll love that we're talking about him on this. I just that we're talking I, about the Simpsons. I, I felt like it was important to start with something you know uh, contentious. I suppose because there's all this talk at the moment about the Friends reunion and uh, who gives a fuck. I mean, like you know, the Simpsons is has <laughs> gone, gone off the rails massively, but I think it has a certain kind of level of magic to it. But also, I think crucially as well to try and get to know the artist Royal Yellow. I wonder if those early Simpsons episodes have have a bit of a punk edge to them because <laughs> I know that you do as well. So you come from a punk background. The kind of music you make right now is incredibly different to those days. But I would like, if you could, to maybe take us back to your first kind of shots and anger and growing up like in amongst a punk scene that was, I guess, fairly thriving at, like in its day. Yeah. Well, I was. Yeah. So when I was um, when I was like fourteen years old, I started seeing posters around my. Um, I, I grew up in Greystones in North Wicklow and. Um, I started seeing posters in like chip shop windows for like, you know, like really kind of like high contrast black and white thrown together with Pritt stick and blue tack kind of posters. Visually stunning, like for rock shows that were happening just down the road in Kilcool. And I was like totally kind of, you know, blown away by the concept that there would be a music event happening <laughs> in my local area. So, um, you know, started talking to a friend of mine who was like a little bit older and he was like, oh yeah, I know the guys who are like putting on these gigs and, you know, I'm actually starting a band myself and we're like really influenced by like, you know, started listening to this band called Minor Threat and, you know, like, so Theo was this friend's name and he st- he sort of brought me along to some of these shows, which were like just down the road in Kilcool, like 10 minutes on the bus. And um, yeah, that was pretty much like my, my musical 
epiphany musical awakening awakening moment um there was just this amazing kind of do-it-yourself punk scene happening in Kilcool in North Wicklow, the town where Glen Rowe was shot, famously. <laughs> wow. And, pretty uh, punk in its day, must be pretty said. Pretty punk, yeah, yeah. It was carrying on the torch. And um, <laughs> yeah, just like, I mean, there's just, it was mainly kind of guys who were around kind of like 17, 18, 19, a couple of years older than I was at the time. band called Kid Blunt were pretty much at the centre of it. Um, and... Yeah, just just these all day long kind of like three euro in all ages scout den punk gigs with like eight or nine bands on a bill on a day. And very quickly I just started, you know, I was really inspired by this and started creating my own bands with, you know, my friends. And then we started putting on our own shows. Um, I started a collective called the Basta Youth Collective with um, former uh, TD that, did not happen, but almost happened. Dylan Haskins, who was a <laughs> good friend of mine at the time and an amazing dude for like making things happen. Like, and then he was like making documentaries, like from like, like I was only thinking about Dylan the other day. Like he started this collective. We were doing loads of shows. We were, I was touring around the country when I was like, by the age of like 15, touring with like American punk bands. Um, Dylan was making documentaries, going over to interview Ian, Mc, Ian Mackay from Fugazi, just like mad stuff happening. Like we were way too young to be doing so much, but yeah, it definitely had a, a huge impact on kind of, I guess the ethos that I, that I now carry with me, which is just this very stubborn, almost militant DIY attitude that I kind of bring to everything I do. And I mean, it's, it's funny at the moment, like I, I really kind of, I, I have, I'm noticing when, when I come into like a campaign and this is my first EP that I've done as a solo artist, um, you have to kind of like ask a lot of people things, you know, like yeah. I've even had to reach out to you guys and say like, hey, can we do an interview? It would be it cool. tough negotiating process, but you know, yeah. we got there. eventually we got there. Yeah. And that's easy because we're friends, but um, asking well, people. Well, with Dave, I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is a friend? I mean, like, like yeah. that's another question we could ask, you know, it's hard yeah. to define. But asking people for permission is, is something that I've always really struggled with. Um, That's the, the repercussions, I think, of, of that musical background and, um, so yeah, I'm kind of grappling with that now because it's such an important part of like, of, of doing a release. You can't do everything on your own. You need, you know, help. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I guess the kind of self-reliance of that scene has stood you in good stead, right? So you'll just kind of push on through those moments of anxiety and just get stuff done and not wait around or kind of overthink it. I mean, you've been mm. doing that for your whole career to an extent, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was very much our way, like enemies enemies my, my previous band which i was playing with for for 10 years like math rock band all very much naturally came out of that scene and you know i mentioned kid blunt there earlier like owen from kid blunt was actually like the guy who started enemies um incredible musician and a very dear friend of mine and yeah we just uh yeah it just naturally just has has been the fuel in the engine um with enemies we, we kind of like recorded all our own albums and you know I was learning a lot about graphic design and kind of visual art all throughout Enemies as well so I became kind of like the art director of that band and was doing all of our merch and stuff and I mean I guess it's just an essential part of like of being a modern creative is like you have to know you have to have so many strings on your on your bow because you know because the money 
is just being sucked out of every aspect of it. So like having a budget to, you know, to approach a team of people and 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 hire people to do something, it's just it's just not really very realistic anymore. So yeah, it's amazing. It's like one of the best things I've ever kind of inherited. Just that having people around me who are super um who have tons of initiative and tons of talent and tons of motivation and then and then having a little bit of that myself as well. Doing cool. it kind of for the right reasons as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just all about the creativity. It's about kind of the effect that has on you, the kind of journey. It's all about the journey, man. It's all about the journey, man. It's about the friends we made along the yeah. way. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think a couple of years ago, I I very much sort of shifted gear. I think it was around the time that we were coming to the end of Enemies and, and we kind of like made a group decision that we were we were going to try and turn it into something that we could like really make a living from. And that meant, that has like consequences on the type of music that you start making and every decision then is different because you've got that alternative sort of motivation in your mind or just an incentive in your mind. Um, and that, you know, didn't go so well. <laughs> it ended up destroying the band. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, now I'm back at a point in my life where like I've, I've got a job, like I teach, you know, and it's all, it's all kind of linked in with creativity. Like I teach in an, in an art and design college and I teach in a music college and that, that can just be my living. And now I can actually, treat music and my musical expression in a very kind of pure way where it's just as you said there it's just about the journey man yeah sticking yeah. with the enemies part of the journey just for a second i mean you say it kind of it all exploded there at the end but it did seem from the outside like it, you kind of wrapped it up with a very neat little bow and um for people that kind of know you you're obviously most famous for co-hosting this very show uh last absolutely, october absolutely. one of the most sensual episodes we've ever done <laughs> top five sexiest songs and least sexy which was of course me on that but some other people might know you from enemies yeah. who um happen to be like leading lights of a shining era in music music um, yeah. with the Richter Collective um, three great albums kind of unimpeachable legacy I suppose over the course of like what well, was the three albums in six years or something crazy like that together for maybe a decade in total what was it yeah I think it was 2010 was the first album and 2016 was the was the last yeah so that was pretty that's that's not bad yeah, yeah and three, you, you know you talk about kind of musical differences towards the end put paid to the band but you did kind yeah. of you were going your separate ways and you did complete that final record and it kind of yeah mended healed yeah. some of the relationships and you went out you know with the Vicar Street show and it just felt, yeah. felt like a really kind of triumphant thing um, it was amazing well we kind of caught ourselves like we were so lucky that like going down this road of like whatever it takes we're gonna you know we're gonna be able to make a living from this and we're gonna tour 200 days of the year and we're gonna f- commit fully and then we reached a point like sort of halfway through a, a massive American tour in the lead up to the third album where we sort of just caught ourselves and had a moment of clarity where we were able to sort of look at what was happening and sort of stand back and say, like, do we want this? Is this like, can we kind of see where this road goes? And is it a road that we want to be on? And we could see our friendships with each other and our relationships sort of fracturing a little bit and things getting very touchy and just you know we could we could clearly see the kind of fun being sucked out of it and mm. because it was such a beautiful thing for so many years and such an incredible important part of our life that had nothing to do with finances or income you know we we just sort of said to ourselves we can fucking find other ways to make money like this does not this should not be that thing you know this is about more than that and that was actually why the the last album ended up being called valuables but yeah. you know because in, in a kind of corny way we realised what was important to us, 
you know, within the band. And it was, and it wasn't necessarily about getting another 10 years out of it or, or, you know, being able to use enemies to pay the rent. It was sort of just like, yeah, it, it reached a point where we were like, this has kind of reached a very natural sort of beautiful end point. And we sort of got it back then. We were able to go finish that record and, and work towards the Vicar Street show yeah. and, and end on a high. And I think when people know that it's the end as well, you can, you know, it's, it's a really beautiful thing when you're at a show and you know it's the, it's the last show. For sure. Um, James Murphy will tell you that, even though he... Uh, <laughs> he <laughs> He's going to do it a few times, I think. Yeah. Else He's there. just a liar. Like, <laughs> yeah, let, let's be honest about it. About it. Uh, can I ask you, I mean, like, again, on the enemy's point, while well, we have it... Um, you know, 2006 to 2016, like, I think is a very interesting time in Irish music. Like, mm. I think so much has changed even, I think so much changed in that time. Mm-hmm. I think so much has changed even since 2016 and now. And I would include Royal Yellow in that as well, mm-hmm. like as an example of how Irish music has continues to evolve. Um, we've been talking, which was re-released on vinyl last year for the 10th anniversary, mm-hmm. is often cited as like a, a great modern Irish album whether in instrumental math rock or not, it's just held up there, I think. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. Craig in particular. <laughs> just to make it awkward. Absolutely adores it. it. It's an amazing record. And it's like, but I wonder, I mean, like, like, do you look back on that time, like, not necessarily with regrets, but like, do you think enemies got their due? Like, like, because I, I do wonder, like, the time period in particular, kind of, to me, I'm like, I wonder, what, what, what would it be like if they came out now? Does that even matter to you? I just wonder, like, what is your kind of, because I know that it yeah. did, we, we, like, we've talked about this in the run up to this, where like, you were really fucking hurt when this ended, mm. as you, as anybody. It's a relationship, like I mean. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm just curious as to your kind of summary of the entire thing, really, and and if you think that whether it's the Irish music press or whatever, like what yeah, the kind of legacy yeah. is there. I, th- I mean, I I, I kind of think we do. I think I think we did get our due. You know, I was like before, even before releasing that album, even after the strength of our first EP. Like I was 19 years old, touring around Japan with one of my favorite math rock bands which was Toe signed to their label Um, yeah we had like we had so many amazing experiences and you have to remember that like what we did like was weird music you know it was mostly instrumental not necessarily overly accessible niche cult math rocky post rocky music Um, I think at a time when we were in it we would we we could often sort of like say to ourselves like oh you know we worked so hard and our and our we were really proud of our art and there were definitely times as as happens to any band where you can kind of think oh we deserve so much more yeah I mean you see it you see it every year with like when awards show when the choice comes around and stuff like I think on some level everyone who's nominated for the choice award thinks that they should win it you know when it's your band you're you're so close to it and it's so precious to you that sometimes you're just like yeah you know what we're not getting the Jews that we deserve but Looking back on it now, I mean, Jesus Christ, the things that it achieved, like being able to tour all over Europe, Asia, you know, Hong Kong, Taipei, Japan, um, to put out three albums that like, you know, I still get messaged about when I go online, you know, the YouTube comments are beautiful. You know, I think, yeah, I think now with a little bit of hindsight, I think we did get our Jews and and then some, you know, I, I really do think it was quite amazing how well it did for you know four guys from North Wicklow um because we yeah we continue like there's a kind of a now that that moment has kind of passed you know there was like a there was kind of a math rock moment and you know the the the, the highest examples of like you know the top sort of succeeders in that world would be the likes of Foles maybe who were able to kind of package it in a more kind of indie rock pop sensibility and go to the top of Mount Olympus with it 
but there's kind of like a you know a, a niche kind of underground tier of like you know there's like toe and there's um light from japan and there's american football and then there's you know enemies often gets kind of put in the those playlists those categories those articles you know on blogs and stuff and and to be in that kind of company yeah for me is is amazing yeah and i think yeah i don't have any grievances with like oh you know it should have been choice nominated or it should have been whatever because it's you know it's kind of weird music you know it's it's not for everyone and that's kind of i think what makes it good yeah, um, you know, just before we move on to kind of current stuff, you did have that milestone last year and you kind of could go back to we've been talking the debut and had mm. the final release and um, was very excited to get that. And particularly great, the great thing about it was um, the essay that was included, which was just like you kind of looking back and getting a bit nostalgic and you kind mm. of start by saying this can be quite, you know, exciting, but also apprehensive. But mm. actually your kind of takeaway was how easy it all was that debut and it kind of just seemed mm. effortless and um it, that really spoke to me as someone that loved the record at the time it kind of confirmed what i got from the music and it was just like this kind of unexpected it, it like it kind of just came out of thin air um just arrived mm. fully formed that seemed to be the way you guys were operating at the time probably through pra- practice with this flow state thing what was mm. it like for you going back to it and clearly getting a lot of positives from it uh yeah really beautiful yeah i think again because when you're in a band you're always trying to sort of one up your every record needs to be better than the last and it's it's very easy to kind of look at your first record and go like, oh, that shit, you know, like, or, you know, to be like, we're so much better now or whatever. Um, But yeah, going back and listening to it relatively fresh. uh, Yeah, it was beautiful because as you get older, you, you can just, you just learn to overthink things. Everything you do in life, you know, you can, especially when you've had a little bit of success, you can start a project with like a fear or an anxiety or an apprehension like, oh, how do we, you know, recreate or or better still, you know, one-up that level of success. And I think when I listen to that first Enemies album, it is just the sound of four guys with, with no expectations. You know, it really is just the sound of four guys in a room playing the type of music that they love to play. And it did, it did in my memory, and the other guys might disagree with me on this, I don't know, but in my memory, it did flow out very, very quickly um, when in the writing, you know. Um, yeah, it's yeah, just because we were all bringing years and years of inspiration of just like deep MySpace dives and and punk dives and all sorts of stuff, record collections that we were just bringing to it. Um, so yeah, it's just lovely, a really beautiful thing and something that I try to remember when I'm writing music now, you know, like the, that, that whole like writing with the door closed and not thinking about the product, the end product of the outside world or the culture that exists around it, just being in it um, in that pure kind of expression sort of way.
Well, it's interesting as well because, you know, Royal Yellow, it's a solo project, but it feels more mm. like a kind of, I don't know, a musical vehicle. And the vehicle is like a VW bus and everyone's welcome to come in and you surround <laughs> yourself with great players. And like, there seems to be a concerted effort to find like the transcendence in that togetherness and bouncing off people and working towards a kind of specific aim. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I love that you said VW vehicle there. It just throws up a great image in my mind of like me as a Charles Manson figure <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sitting in the front seeing, voice, seeing who's going to hop in. Hair is too short at the moment though. Yeah, yeah. Hair is too short. I haven't got the lockdown beard. It's pitiful. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean like yeah, I mean look, collaboration's always been a massive part of it for me. Um, I think post enemies, I had to go away for a little while and figure out how to make music alone. Yeah, what you know? what was that kind of journey like, where you're just kind of getting your bearings and you're trying to figure out, okay, I know I want to continue to make music. Is it going to be in a new band? What form is that going to take? How did you approach all that? Um, tough, like up and down, like you know, some days, like there's there's moments of of pure euphoric highs where you like realize where you sort of like you know beat a personal best or whatever like you're 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 learning music production and you're you know you're programming beats you know like you're you're writing kind of like a lot more vocals you're doing things that you ordinarily would have kind of some would have been someone else's job or things that you just would have sort of strayed away from and uh so there's moments of like great enormous kind of like um dopamine rushes in your mind and reward systems going off pinball machines but uh but there's also a lot of loneliness, you know, a lot of isolation, a lot of maybe self-doubt at the beginning when you're when you're coming off the back of a band with, you know, a decent amount of acclaim and you're doing it out on your own. I think the hardest part is figuring out what you want it to actually sound like, you know, because when you've no real parameters and you can just do anything, um, you can really just sort of every f- sort of flight of fancy imaginable can just be pursued. And I think that was very much what I was doing at the beginning of this project. And, and I mean, only time, well, maybe I'm still doing it, you know, maybe I'll look back in three years and look at my recent 12 minute long single and go, Jesus, you know. Um, but yeah, it's just like, I guess, I guess it's just like you're just you're just kind of resetting your 10,000 hours. You're just starting again um, you're just making mistakes. You're just trying things. Um, for me, I just had to get to a level where I was comfortable enough as a producer that I could open the door again and start bringing people in and not feel like I was wasting people's time, you know, like bring someone in and, and be ready to go with a session or or facilitate good creativity and not be like, oh, sorry, man, I actually haven't a clue what I'm doing, which is actually still a big part of what I do. But, you know, probably in a more facilitating way. Did you, um like, I'm curious, like, did you initially reject the idea of collaboration? Because if you're building a persona, building a new musical thing, whether, mm. you know, we've kind of talked about this, whether, like, is it an all, I think one of the questions I asked you before was, is this an alter ego or like, it's just a cool name? Um, but, yeah. I'm, but I'm wondering, I mean, like, I think you are naturally a person who, you know, gravitates towards people and people gravitate towards you and whether it's in creative sphere or otherwise, mm-hmm. but... I wonder, like, was there a sense of to try and, like, I don't know, maybe like shield yourself or like kind of get some armor on you that you were like, okay, the band thing is done. Mm. I'm on my own now and I got to close doors in order to fucking maybe open them again that way. Sure, like, yeah. Was there yeah. like some kind of initial kind of just like stubbornness involved or how did it really kind of coalesce? Yeah, I mean, you've got this, you've got this protective shield of, of sort of hurt, you know, because you don't want to be, you don't want to be in a situation where your future is so intertwined with the, 
the desires and dreams of other people. You know, it's like, you know, it's like getting your heart broken in a romantic relationship and just being like, well, I'm never going to, you know, I'm never going to fall so hard again. You know, it's like, you know, it's kind of a necessary stage in, in a process of grieving or whatever, where you're, you do kind of have to have this sort of shell around yourself and, you know, heal while protected. Um, yeah, I think I just, I just wanted, I wanted to carve out a situation where it couldn't be, it couldn't be taken away from me, you know, like I can look at Royal Yellow now. The thing that I love about it now as a project is that like, no matter what happens, I have it and it's mine and I can, I can, I can do Royal Yellow for the next 40 years, you know, and as long as it's like Marky Smith with the fall, like if it's me and your, <laughs> if it's me and your granny. So that's lovely, you know, but even still, even saying that it sounds like I don't really like saying that because it, it, it kind of, it doesn't really align with like what the nature of the project is in my mind. I think of like maybe broken social scene as a better example of like a, of a, of an artistic project where there's sort of like, I think in their case, it's two guys at the, at the, at the core of it, Kevin Drew and Brendan Canning, but it feels like, you know, otherwise it's a kind of a revolving door of people coming in and, and it's all about sort of joy and community and expression and creativity, which you really feel, you know, I, I'm sure you guys have probably seen Broken Social Scene live at some point. Maybe not. If you haven't. Never seen them, no. Oh, I missed man. them, yeah. They played the Tivoli there before it was torn down. Yeah, I know. Such a great show. Yeah. <laughs> such a great show. Uh, he, no, he, he gave us like a like a knowing thing there. He, and then he was like, of course you guys would have yeah, said yeah. it. And, and then, then there was, and then there was, then there was, then there was like, like distress shock when he was like, oh fuck, they haven't. They're uh, not the cool music guys I thought they were. Yeah, well, they're kind of, they're, I think they're kind of a dorky band, like, you know, but yeah. People Definitely love them. And, I, I love them. I just point. have not seen them. So. Colin Morgan, who used to do the show with us, he's seen them like fucking yeah, six times or something. Like, and you know, he's it's, spoken reverentially yeah, of them that yeah. way. It's pure euphoric joy. You know, it's like it's like joining a cult for a day and, <laughs> and getting out before the the guns come out. Uh, it's great. So it's like the polyphonic spree, but good, basically. Exactly. That's where we're exactly, on this one, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but how was it? Like, I mean, kind of putting this together at a time when you know and again like there's something that I always qualify and perhaps I should stop doing this but like oh the Irish music scene is on fire and it is like it actually is having a moment it's been having a moment for some time maybe it's always been having a moment I don't know but like I do think that like again this is the hot press thing in me of like you know stop saying Irish music is good just because it's made in Ireland but Mm -hmm. it must be said in the last three years alone and Royal Yellow I guess first surfaced kind of quietly in 2018 to a degree um, even if now you know the EP is very different to what you kind of first put out so Mm. But it is uh, uh, not so much a highly competitive space because it's not a sport. And I think, if anything, a lot of Irish musicians tend to kind of lift each other up, which is great. Mm-hmm. But coming from an act with 10 years of pedigree and, you know, people were upset when the band broke up and obviously mm-hmm. have their own memories. Um, and you're starting afresh, but also you kind of have all this experience mm-hmm. from DIY scenes to traveling around the world to, you know, selling a Ficker Street and so on. Like, does that matter? Or is there any kind of apprehension there? Like, does it feel like first kid on the first day of school? Like, I mean, how does that work? Um, I try not to let it matter. No, I think uh, starting out again, I spoke about those difficult early days where you're just starting out and you're figuring out what this is and what you want it to be. And there's definitely, there's definitely like a bit of fucking, you know, beauty school dropout, like, (laughs) you know, defensiveness and ego and, you know, this has to be bigger than the last thing I did. Um, that 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 went away relatively quickly for me, I think. 
Um, again, yeah, I think it's just like lower, like man, like lowering your being in touch with with why you make it. I try to ask myself that question all the time. It's like, why do I make music? And if it is just for if it is just for like the joy of kind of of creative expression and working with people, which is really what it is, you know, even live has even playing live has become less of an important factor for me over time. It's mainly about just being in the studio, making electricity happen. Um, so yeah, com- competitiveness and, and like pedigree and, and, you know, that's all, that's just ego really, isn't it? Or if you're, if you're, you know, if you're financially dead set on this has to work, this has to be my career, you know, this has to be, you know, I, I talk to, art, I, I, find, I talk to artists all the time and this is where the difference is. Like there's so many amazing artists out there who have put absolutely all of their eggs into the like, this has to be financially viable and sustainable basket. And I respect and admire those people so much because to, to have a dream and to have a vision and to just go and to, and to, and to just go at it with like that soul focus is an amazing thing. Um, but I just, I just lucky that I don't have to do that. I just, I've just decided, um, maybe it's not luck, but it's just, I've made a conscious decision that like, if I want to love music, it needs to be the thing that I do as a hobby. It needs to be the thing I do for fun. It needs to be the thing that I do at the end of my work day. And I just find that the results, the stuff I make is always better when I approach it in that mode. And the same goes for competition. You know, if I'm, if I'm competitive with other people or comparing myself to other people or forming some sort of a league or table in my mind, which I have done, you know, I have, I've, I've, I've had people close to me, um, form bands over the years and I've seen those bands do really fucking well, like right out the gate. And I, and it's been difficult, you know, I've had moments where I've been like, God, I put so much work into this and, you know, you know, it's like your ego can always jump out of the shadows and, and bite you in the ass, but I've gotten better at kind of catching it and acknowledging that it's this weird, that it's this poison toxic thing that really doesn't serve me at all. I'm calling it a hobby. He's probably doing it a disservice. It doesn't seem like a part-time thing whatsoever. And, you know, you've caught those Mm. kind of feelings and, you know, kept working and you've, it seems like you've been extremely productive over the last kind of lockdown year or so. I mean, the running joke on this show is... I've had my probably ill-named prison fantasy of, I don't know, getting ripped and reading Dostoevsky and I've done nothing. <laughs> let's get back into that for a second, shall we? Yeah, yeah let's make that apart. pretty good now, Matt. <laughs> let, let's hyperanalyze that one. Yeah. <laughs> but you've been working and you've been kind of, you know, whether you're collaborating with other, other people or just using what's on your, your doorstep, um, quite literally with the cover art for Until. Yeah, like yeah, Urban yeah. Horse, which is just an amazing shot. Um, yeah, shout out Kate to Kate, Kate my, yeah. my partner who uh, And she's been kind of co creating stuff with you as well so she's been a good kind of sounding board and just what has that year been like where you haven't been leaving mm. the house too much but being productive with it it's been really nice yeah because again you don't have the you don't have the distraction of um you don't have the like annual festival panic distraction of like i gotta get out and do x amount of gigs and get in front of x amount of promoters so i can get on x amount of festivals like that the whole touring pressure has been gone away from it so you can really just focus on on the art um I mean, I think I wrote, you know, I think until the, my latest like 12 minute euphoric opus of a song was written, like probably about like, I I think I started writing that about one or two weeks into COVID lockdown. So it was like written in kind of a frenzy of probably, uh, 
of that initial stage of like denial that we all went into where it was like oh, we'll be back in no time let's just keep the keep the fires burning you know i was like the guy who wouldn't turn off the the guy who wouldn't turn on the lights at the session um, <laughs> the next morning or something but yeah, it's been really good. Like, I mean, Kate's been amazing. You know, we we collaborate on all sorts of stuff. She's like very involved in everything I do um, from artwork right up to like, you know, she helps me to sort of arrange the songs and, and her vocals feature on a ton of stuff that I've done over over the last couple of years. And um, we've got like, you know, this lovely little life out in North Dublin where we just, you know, we're, we're fortunate enough to have a, a, a house that we rent and you know, I've got a studio space over in East Wall, over in Yellow Door Studios, where I can go and make my stuff. Um, we've, we've, I've, I've teamed up with Tiny Ark recently with Ronan Fox from Tiny Ark, who's an amazing director. We've made a documentary about, kind of about that last year, and and just the, the sort of like the behind the scenes look at at just my creative process and making this EP. And you know, Kate talks about in that documentary. You know, she talks about this. A series of loops that our life has been, which is an, an expression that I love. She's yeah. just like, you know, our life, our life has just been a series of little loops. Uh, she's referring to like, you know, just walks and, and um, you know, like cups of coffee and, um, you know, <laughs> that's pretty much it, you know, writing pieces of music or maybe doing a little bit of like arts and crafts stuff. And, uh, but I love that because it's just like, you know, it's got such a nice musical resonance, like the the life bleeding into the songwriting and yeah I don't know just it's been a good year I think I'm excited to see things come back I'm excited for that more communal aspect of music to to come and nourish me a bit more It's interesting you talked about, um, you know, in a few years, are we going to be looking at Still Until as like still a transitionary point for Royal Yellow? Mm. To me, it sounds like it's kind of the identity of Royal Yellow has been really forged in terms of the themes of it. And it's, it's got that kind of approach of like, it's coming from quite a singular place and it's coming from the heaviness of the isolation and the solitude and the kind of trying to make something and magic something into being. Mm. But then it's also kind of custom built the soundtrack hopefully that euphoric moment when there is that communal thing so yeah it, there's this really nice meta narrative almost <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if you, you intended that but it certainly comes across that it's going to take on different meanings for different people at different times and have a lot of different kind of contexts and filters as we go through the next mm. weeks and months I hope so I hope so I definitely wasn't conscious it was just something that emerged and I think it's quite I think it's interesting how I, I started with the when it came to writing, I started with the euphoric moments and sort of worked backwards. Like it was almost like, again, as I say, like that initial stage of denial where you're like, everything is fine, you know, and then, you know, a couple of months later, I was writing the more the more melancholy kind of um, pensive sort of arrangements that that start 
the record. Um, was also very very conscious of like not not talking about it as like a as a COVID nineteen record yeah. because I think it has themes in there that just uh, that are just universally applicable, you know, and it even like you know, harken back to my post-rock days and I know Dave will enjoy this aspect of it, but like the, oh, long, yes. <laughs> the long drawn out, you know, like the record kind of, like side one on the record is quite somber and melancholy and, and gets pretty grey at times, yeah. you know, and but then and then on side two, you've got this long, expansive sort of ambient track that eventually hits this point of just joy and euphoria and release. And I think that, um, you know, we're all sort of appreciators of of atmospheric post-rock and cinematic music and stuff. I think it's that's just something that will always appeal to me. And so you're a, you're, payoff. you're a, you're a foreplay merchant is what I'm, is what, is what I'm going out of this. But you have yeah. to have the bills, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you have to like, like you have to like live in that kind of space for a while in order for like the crescendo to mean anything, I think. And also what's interesting about the kind of music you're making now versus the first stuff you made, I mean, like it is very different. You're, like, mm. it, like your education is on record here. Mm-hmm. We can hear you figuring it out with each new step and like, mm. also like was it Hazeldean that ended up on Normal People or like which yeah. was? yeah. So like that yeah, alone, first, first single. But I mean, like that's crazy, and like that must have been. And you have like I think some of your Spotify players are in the millions, and like like I mean, like yeah, he lives in a castle now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're the new, you're the new Enya. But I mean, like again, independent artist from Dublin, like who doesn't have a, a big label or whatever. Like you're doing it by yourself. You're mm-hmm. it's all very DIY. Again, coming from that school that you kind of educated yourself within as a teenager. But like, surely there must have been like an itch. You know, that could have been scratched where it's like, well, I wrote this song and it ended up in normal people. Like, why don't I just become a pop guy? I mean, like, yeah. but you've gone the other way. Like, I mean, you, like you're, you're asking for tremendous patience on the listener's behalf. And and the, and the new stuff has been well received as well. So mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know, I, I think you can just do no wrong, Craig. But I mean, like, is there <laughs> like, is, is there no temptation there to be like, oh, I could just be a fucking label guy? I mean, like, 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 what is the kind of those internal kind of conversations like? Or is it all just been steadfastly determined? Now, nah, this is it. Let's fucking make people wait. I don't know, man. I think I think sometimes I lack that I lack that killer instinct of of or I lack that I lack that. Um, I definitely lack that. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Here? I don't even know the word is how how lacking I am. Um, <laughs> Craig, you're, Craig, Craig, you're in advertising. You should know this. That entrepreneurial. <laughs> oh, okay. I lack that entrepreneurial spirit. You know where I would look at it, where I would see a song do well or get get placed to normal people or get like a million streams on Spotify or whatever, you know, uh, a more entre- a more entrepreneurial person would, would look at that and go, right, that's Double the down on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I kind of did with like, I did in, in, I remember like the second single I released probably was my attempt at that, you know, like taking something that was quite kind of like warm and sepia toned and, and kind of like throwbacky in a kind of a vintage sort of way and, bit funky and, and being like, okay, cool, this is the direction that I'm going to go in. And then very quickly realising that, like, this is just not me, you know, it just isn't, like, I love Hazeldean as a track, but it's a weird, it's an anomaly, I think, and will always be a weird anomaly within my catalogue, you know, it was just one of those early experiments of, like, figuring out my sound. Um, but yeah, I'm not good at, I'm not good at, you know, at like looking at the the data, looking at the things that work and, and doing the kind of the like ad agency focus group workshop of like, let's do more of this. Our engagement rate was very high on this one. <laughs> Lucky you. You know, what were the hashtags? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, it's just a race to the bottom, isn't it? You know, <laughs> like realistically, you know, how many bands when they try to recreate the lightning in a bottle stuff that happens 
just go completely off the cliff and lose all sense of identity and development. You really do just like it's it's a business that just thrives on intuition, you know, and like the moment that you stop just being intuitive and following your nose, the, all all creativity and all, all spontaneity just gets sucked out of it and you end up with uh, Biffy Clyro's latest record or, you know, oh. <laughs> like it just becomes shots fired. Be, shots fired. I mean, shots, shots landed, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> They're dead. You know, <laughs> but, uh, you know there's, a, there's a market for that, you know, like, like they can sell out the three arena. Um, but uh, just can't do it. I'm I'm weirdly like, it just has to be about pure creative expression and, and intuition for me. Is it like is is it vindicating then when you put out a 12 minute track and people do respond to it, which Fuck they yeah. have been? Yeah, yeah, it rocks. Like, um, <laughs> although the edit is getting a lot more plays than the, than ah, the pe- people's attention spans, man. You know how it is. Um, I have had some really nice people reach out to me and say that it's a uh, you know and express like great disdain at the fact that the the four minute radio edit is getting a lot more plays than the, yeah, here, the 12 here. minute opus. But, uh, you know, people are, people are busy. I get it. Uh, it's great. It's great when that stuff happens, when you do something weird, because Hazel Dean's a weird song as well. Hazel Dean's in like a seven, four time signature. You know, it's, it's got some ropey, slightly out of tune vocals on it. It's, it's an odd sort of collage of a track. So, I mean, no one expected that to get a placement in normal people or get millions of streams on Spotify. You know, I definitely didn't expect this 12 minute weirdo of a thing to, to connect in the way that it has. I've got a lot of people reaching out to me and saying that they list, they've listened to it when they run and it's getting good, even radio play. And yeah, weird. Like you just can't predict it. And, and, and that, and it goes back to this, to how we approach things with enemies as well. Like, I think your best work just comes from those moments where you're just following your intuition. And, and if you try to strategize and mood board and, you know, workshop things, rarely works you know really laying into my entire career i'm just <laughs> like that's my one day well just to be i i've i've worked in um i worked in branding for years yeah. and a lot of there was a, and i've worked in a lot, bunch of ad agencies as well because my my other job is a graphic as i work as a graphic designer but um there's so much value in that stuff as well you know like we do like you like we have both worked in those rooms and a lot of really good creativity happens and, and it is nice to have boundaries you know um but uh i don't know it just doesn't work within music somehow yeah it, it's interesting whenever you talk about the kind of process invariably it becomes kind of quite like childlike in terms of you, you talk about like getting the lego out and playing around with it mm-hmm. and um you know moving into kind of electronics and sampling how maybe putting down the instrument and working with sounds that you didn't create yourself kind of gives you a freedom where you don't have to be too precious about it and you can kind of mm. warp it and twist it and just go off in totally weird directions you can't really yeah. put a plan in place for that it's totally it's pure pure lego um yeah and it's pure chance and then it's just having the and then it's just having the discipline to come back to make as much as you can and then to have the discipline to come back and look at it all and decide what you're actually going to share with the world. Because there's a bunch of terrible, terrible stuff that I make in that Lego mode that no one will ever hear. You know, 90% of it is probably utter horseshit. But uh, there are the the little moments, you know, that, that rise to the top. Uh, you are very visually focused, as you note. And there is a documentary that will be arriving soon, I believe, not long after this episode comes out. Uh, yeah. End of June, yeah, it's going it, to come possibly? out later in June. I don't know if we've put a, a specific date on it yet, but... So we've seen it. 
you know, that's the perks. Uh, it's yeah, twelve minute, I believe, documentary. Uh, there, there, there. Bits. And like, I guess what, like, what is the thinking behind that? I mean, especially like as a, as a new enough artist to be like, well, here's a visual look at what I do and how I do it, and people I've worked with, and you know, people who are in the band with me, and so on. I yeah. mean, you know, like that's I think that's a tricky one because like, mm. like I think it's cool, but I also know you. Mm-hmm. So like, for someone who doesn't know you, they could be like. What, you, you want me to listen to a 12-minute song and watch a fucking documentary? <laughs> who is, video, who is this guy? It's better than a press release. <laughs> 12 minutes is the new three and a half. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's, that, that, that comes into story. I've, um, I've, like, obviously, we've seen some amazing storytelling happen in Irish music in the last couple of months. Um, you know, Gemma Dunleavy comes to mind, like, the, the, like her... Her ability as a storyteller to paint a picture of her community and the environment in which in in which her art is made is is really wonderful. For those I love is another one. Like there's, you know, like I I'm noticing more and more that like what people really connect with isn't it, it's kind of fifty percent music, fifty percent storytelling. You know, the story around that music. Um, and what I wanted to do with the documentary was just sort of p- fill out that story aspect of of who I am and what this sort of release is about um just you know because just in a way to that like when when this is all over and pubs are open you know when people come up to me they'll know a little bit more about the project you know because there's a lot of confusion out there of like is it a band is it a solo project are you a producer are you an artist are you you know and I just wanted to kind of like cults yeah. Have a VW van, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where's the VW van? Um, so, like, um, why do you hate Biffy Clark? <laughs> so, um, That's this cool. interview's yeah. not going to help. Yeah. It's just muddying the water. I used to love Biffy Clark so much. Did you? Man. I never yeah. got it, man. I never understood but, it. Um, so this documentary is just my my journey with Biffy Clark. Uh, no, it's just, yeah, it's just that story thing, you know. I felt like there was a story there that couldn't really be expressed lyrically or in the liner notes. It needed to be kind of a more visual thing. And there'll be a TikTok cut down as well, so that'll cover that off. What's yeah. a cut down? Oh, like a, an edit? <laughs> like a 15 second version of the documentary. It'll cram everything in. Perfect. I thought you were saying like someone on TikTok is just going to write. That's my new TikTok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Craig's TikTok page. <laughs> it's all flattery on the, yeah, on the yeah, interview, yeah. but Different don't go on that TikTok. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be like, like we'll do a dance, you know, it'll be like a whole thing. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's not overwhelming. There's a lot of it though. And I think mm-hmm. it's interesting because I mean like, it's beautifully shot. Looks amazing, and I think we were talking about this before, where like you think, or at least I think you posited that like the bar has been raised quite strongly, mm-hmm. in, it, like quite recently as well. That like mm-hmm. Irish music videos or Irish music like accompaniments or whatever, like it's it's starting to look incredibly professional and mm-hmm. incredibly well put together, both from a conceptual point of view and the execution thereof. Like, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, like it's. I wonder what has changed there because this is happening at a time when. Like I, I've said before, like I don't know how much value a music video still has. People mm. talk about that. They talk about like, oh, the album doesn't have value anymore. Like obviously that's bollocks. But like, mm-hmm. it's a different time. It's like growing up, you know, glued to MTV two. Those days are over. Mm. Even you know, MTV barely plays music videos. Whatever. I send. I'm, I'm, I'm sending. Inc- I think incredibly old. I think right? it's kind of coming <laughs> back though, right? People expect Maybe it visuals is, yeah. to accompany stuff now. Do you know what I mean? I think there's a return to that in some form. Yeah, we've gone. I guess when you had illegal downloading, um, audio became like when, with MP3 players and and downloads, audio became just the easily accessible product. You know, yeah. everyone was it was just 
it was mixes and it was playlists and it was iPods and it was audio, you know, and that's when the the music video visual side of it really fell out. Um, and it's come back because we're plugged onto screens all day long. Mm. The visual thing is, has become so, um, so much more important, which is nice to see when you look at like the stuff that David Balf does visually with For Those I Love. It's like, you know, I mean, that would have had, would have rocked my little MTV2 watching world apart um, as a kid. And I hope it is doing that for kids now. Uh, sorry, Dave, I feel like we, I feel like there was a question there that I just didn't address. I don't think there was a question. I often... Uh, like, you ended like, saying you felt old. <laughs> yeah, my, my style of questioning is to often not ask a question at all. Uh, we just talk about MTV2? It's, and it's genius. It, ser- <laughs> yeah, it served me well for 10 cool. years. MTV2 was a different time, in fairness, kids, if you've never experienced it. But yeah, I don't know. I, I just think people, people might... I think you alluded to it earlier on. I think people might have different demands of their art these days. But I think mm-hmm. also, yeah, I know that you were saying to me before, like a few weeks ago, that like... It might it might be an, an aspect of the industry that is maybe only maybe coming to the fore again in terms of like just the sheer level of quality in terms mm-hmm. of visual artists as well and like you know it's something that like we've talked about on the show before where like we think that there should be a choice music prize for best music video sure it's man, surprising yeah. that there isn't and again it's yeah. also but again like that's a lot of time and money and effort and budget and for artists it's who crazy. often don't have that but yeah. they somehow cobble it together and do it in the name of art. And that's what you're doing. That's what yeah. like, a lot of people like who I guess I would admire in Dublin and throughout the entire country. And it's just, again, it's in the face of like a lack of support, a lack of financial aid and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And it's just, it's surprising to me in one respect and kind of annoying in another where it's like, look what we can fucking do. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> there should be more film directors in this country that should be prominent, but it's just, yeah. it all feels very caged. And again, I don't, know, sure. I, and I don't have a question here either. So No, but it, it does, it, it, it strikes up a point in my... <laughs> It strikes up an interesting question in my mind, which is like, is it is it sustainable? You know, because at the moment, everyone's been pulled off the road, everyone's sitting at home, and maybe everyone is just putting huge amounts of time into like the visual expression of their art. But that's a difficult thing to ask people to do consistently. Like when, yeah. when touring comes back and when people are like required to be in a studio making new music and on the road, but also simultaneously you have to be creating like visual work that's, you know, of a of a of an insane high standard. Um, you're asking an awful lot of people, and I think you know, every musician has like the music video where they where they just you know they cobbled together every you know enemies did it with Finn Keenan back in the day. Like you cobble together like everything you can, spend a couple of grand on a music video because you're just like we just want to make this one big statement artistic piece, and it's a wonderful thing to do, but you can't do it every time. You know it it uh. There, the the financial support just isn't there. So unless you learn, unless you do what you know what David Balfe is doing, where you like spent, where you literally just learn, you know, all of this new technology and this video um, processing. I don't even know how to describe what he does. It's so amazing, but uh, you know, unless you can just like take that on and do music as well and. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, I don't know. Maybe when when touring comes back, there won't be as much of an emphasis on the visual side of things. Maybe it'll be about live. You know, that's where that's where it'll live. But it does seem like the bar is getting very very high. And I do feel for, I do feel kind of sorry for younger artists. You know, who who probably who might feel like they need to compete because it is such a high benchmark. And it's easy for me to kind of sit here with you know. 
15 years of musical background and a degree in visual communications and all this mm. sort of stuff and be like, yeah, okay, I can, I can put together a documentary with the guys from Tiny Ark and it can be of, of the, of a level. But, um, I would say to like younger artists, you know, the best stuff happens when you actually go fuck it and don't compete. And, you know, to bring it back to the punk thing, like to, to embrace amateurism and to brace and, and to embrace like professionalism is a word that you mentioned there. It doesn't always need to be professional. You know, some of the best shit ever happens from pure amateur expression, low fidelity, you know, um, just scrappiness. So, uh, that's, there's probably a lot to be said for that as well. And I do think we'll see a natural, we'll see, we will see a natural, um, bounce back against all of this. I think like if you look at where punk came from, you had the Eagles doing Hotel California, you know, <laughs> seven, minute of music, long, yeah. <laughs> seven minute long guitar solos. And then you have the Ramones and the Clash and the Sex yeah. Pistols. And that will always happen when it gets to a point where everything is just so highbrow and of such a high quality and it's such a high benchmark, the only natural sort of see saw effect is for is for things to get nice and scrappy and dirty and grimy. Uh, words that could uh, readily apply to the music of Royal Yellow from some context, perhaps. But in closing, yeah. we should note the uh, Still Until EP is out now. There is a gorgeous yellow vinyl available. Oh, which it's not yellow, I'm afraid. Is it not? It's white. Sorry, yeah, no, I'm... I'm Frosted clear, Yeah, baby. sorry, I'm fucking... I'm, I'm mixing it up with uh, the shimmer effect on the actual no, artwork. We couldn't get we couldn't get the exact hue um, without paying... A lot of money. A lot more money. Frosted so Clear is beautiful. Frosted Clear so was, was the way to go. Go for it. I'm encouraging people to go out and get it. Whatever yes. the colour of the LP, pick it up. Um, I guess in closing, I mean, like, you know, one of the most basic questions I can ask a musician, but given everything that you've gone through, you know, like mm-hmm. co- like the enemy's journey as, as discussed and taking time to get to where you're at now. I mean, like, how are you feeling on it, like on a general level about this project? And you, you mentioned earlier on, you're like, I could do this for 40 years, which obviously could mean anything. Yeah. But I mean, you like this podcast, I think. <laughs> <laughs> what, I did. <laughs> we, we, we do talk. But yeah, I mean, I guess just like where you at, really, you know, in terms of just the whole thing, the whole damn thing. It feels good, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, it feels nice. It feels like I'm starting to figure out what it is more for sure. Um, and I feel like I'm just in a, I feel like I'm just in a place with it where, yeah, where it feels sustainable. I don't feel burnt out by it at all. I feel it, it feels like it's very much on my own terms. Um. And I like that. And I'm really, really excited now to just continue making more of it. Um, it's always nice when the reaction has been largely very positive uh, to this stuff. And I had no idea how it was going to be interpreted, as you never do. But that's also just like nice fuel in the tank to kind of keep you keep you going. So, yeah, it's 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 cool, man. And an audience waits because this is music that's built for that moment when we have the big sesh the big until you wax yeah. lyrical about paint a picture what's going to happen are we like just for all of us tell oh us it's God, all going to be okay we're getting there <laughs> Jesus, right this every, feels like a turning point like every time I every time I listen to that track or we've done some live stream stuff where I've played it with Dylan Lynch and Ryan Hargadon and Neil Dexter who are the guys that play with me in the band at the moment who yeah. are incredible and when that drop happens we just kind of look at each other and <laughs> we just get this like <laughs> this glint in our eyes that um, <laughs> it is the we're just calling it the until look now um, we just when he when he gives you that look um, but yeah I don't know man it's going to be amazing like there's going to be so many amazing events to happen um, when it when it happens and 
Yeah, I mean, I haven't done a late night festival slot since like 2014 or something, wow. you know, with enemies. And, and that's still one of the most euphoric memories. That's just so burnt in there. I think it was like, you know, one o'clock in the morning, knocking stock in 2014, you know, just main stage, thousands of people. And like, God, I mean, like I, I try to keep my expectations low and I try to live in the present moment as much as possible. But like if something like that ever happens again, which I'm sure it will. Holy shit. Like, it's going to be, it's going to be incredible. Mark O'Brien, Royal Yellow, thank you so much for chatting to us, man. Thanks, guys. Pleasure. Cheers. That was Mark O'Brien, also known as Royal Yellow, on No Encore. I love that one. He's a great guy. He's a friend. You know, sometimes you wonder, like, oh, like, is, is this a bit too pally or whatever? But I, I think, like I said on the episode as well at one point, uh, he's an attractive guy. I'm not just talking about physically. He's a handsome man, but he's an attractive soul. I think it's in his music as well. I think people are kind of, you know, he's like, there's a magnetism there. There was a magnetism with enemies. There is a magnetism with Royal Yellow. It's been fun to listen to him chat about it as well. I heard him on John Barker's Totally Irish Show the other night, and he described his music as an audio hug, which is an amazing way of putting it. Um, I'd, I'd probably agree. It's been very, very interesting to watch Mark kind of evolve in this kind of short period of time. And, you know, it's it's nice to kind of sit down with him and get a sense of his personality and not spell everything out, which I think that we did. And listen, I mean, he might be feeling a bit of reticence and reluctance about his bashing of Biffy Clyro. But if anything, I don't think he went far enough. But that's Royal Yellow. That's Mark O'Brien. Still until he's out now. As I say, you can get it on delicious frosted clear vinyl, not yellow vinyl. I got that wrong. I'm a terrible, terrible journalist. You can get that via Tonic Recordings. I've got my order in just to show, you know, that that that, that like, how, how apologetic a man can be for getting the colour of the vinyl wrong. I've immediately ponied up and I'm looking forward to spinning that beautiful frosted clear vinyl. Anyway, look, that was, no, that was Royal Yellow on No Encore. An interview that a long time in the making. I hope it lived up to expectations. The music so far has at least, so at least we can guarantee that much. As noted in the intro, in my laborious intro, this show, of course, was produced by the wonderful Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan. We are on Patreon, patreon.com slash noencore. We've actually just dropped our brand new No no Ox Chord episode. It's a monthly recommends corner in which Craig, myself, and Adam convened to talk about the music that we've been loving over the past month or so, and this recommends all over the place. Uh, it helps. Supporting the show helps massively. If you are of a mind to throw us the price of a pint, which I guess you can now actually have in or outside an establishment per governmental regulations, who knows? Um, it's, it's hard to know what's happening on the streets of Dublin these days or throughout the country. But yes, if you like the show... If you want to help support us, we would greatly, greatly, greatly love that. Patreon.com slash noencore. That was Royal Yellow. Coming up later in the week on the show, we're going to be reviewing the new album from Wolf Alice, going through all the music news, and uh, Craig and I are still deciding our top five, so I'll get back to you on that one. For now, my name is Dave Hanrowdy. This has been No Encore. There will be no encore. Thanks for listening. Back soon.
This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Enjoy! Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.